Good morning, Redeemer Church. The title of the message today is Walk as Husbands and Wives. Let's say a man named Roger is attracted to a woman named Elaine. And Roger asks Elaine out to a movie, and she accepts. They have a pretty good time. A few nights later, he asks her out to dinner. And again, they enjoy themselves. They continue to see each other regularly, and after a while, neither one of them is seeing anybody else. And then one evening when they're driving home, a thought occurs to Elaine, and without really thinking, she says it out loud. Do you realize that as of tonight, we've been seeing each other for exactly six months? And then there's silence in the car. To Elaine, it seems like a very loud silence. She thinks to herself, geez, I wonder if it bothers him that I said that. Maybe he's been feeling confined by our relationship. Maybe he thinks I'm trying to push him into some kind of obligation that he doesn't want or isn't sure of. And Roger is thinking, gosh, six months. And Elaine is thinking, but hey, I'm not so sure I, I want this kind of space in our relationship either. Sometimes I wish I had a little more space so I'd have time to think about whether I really want us to keep going the way we are. Moving steadily toward, I mean, where are we going? Are we just going to keep seeing each other at this level of intimacy? Are we heading toward marriage, toward children, toward a lifetime together? Am I ready for that level of commitment? Do I really even know this person? And Roger is thinking, so that means it was, let's see, February when we started going out. <laughs> which was right after I had the car at the dealership, which means, let me check the odometer. Whoa, I'm way overdue for an oil change here. Elaine is thinking, he's upset. I can see it on his face. Maybe I'm reading this completely wrong. Maybe he wants more from our relationship, more intimacy, more commitment. Maybe he sensed even before I sensed it that I was feeling some reservations. Yes, I bet that's it. That's why he's so reluctant to say anything about his own feelings. He's afraid of being rejected. Roger's thinking, I'm going to have them look at the transmission again. I don't care what those morons say, it's still not shifting right. And they better not try to blame it on the cold weather this time. What cold weather? It's 87 degrees out. This thing's shifting like a garbage truck. And I paid these incompetent thieves $600. Elaine is thinking, he's angry. I don't blame him. I'd be angry too. I feel so guilty putting him through this. But I can't help the way I feel. I'm, I'm just not sure. Roger's thinking, they'll probably say it's only a 90-day warranty. That's exactly what they're going to say, those scumbags. Elaine is thinking, maybe I'm just too idealistic, waiting for a knight to come riding up on his white horse when I'm sitting right next to a perfectly good person, a person I enjoy being with, a person I truly do care about, a person who seems to truly care about me, a person who is in pain because of my self-centered schoolgirl romantic fantasy. Roger's thinking, warranty. They want a warranty? I'll give them a warranty. I'll take their warranty and... Roger, Elaine says aloud. What? Says Roger, startled. Please don't torture yourself like this, she says, her eyes beginning to brim with tears. Maybe I, sh I should never have... Oh my, I feel so... Elaine breaks down sobbing. What? Says Roger. I'm such a fool, Elaine sobs. I mean, I know there's no night. I really know that. It's silly. There's no night and there's no horse. There's no horse, says Roger. You think I'm a fool, don't you, Elaine says. No, says Roger, glad to finally know the correct answer. 
It's just that it's that I I need some time, Elaine says. There's a 15 second pause while Roger, thinking as fast as he can, tries to come up with a safe response. Finally, he comes up with something he thinks might work. Yes, he says. Elaine, deeply moved, touches his hand. Oh, Roger, do you really feel that way? She says, he says, what way? That way, about time. Oh, yes, Roger says. Elaine turns to face him and gazes deeply into his eyes, causing him to become very nervous about what she might say next, especially if it involves a horse. (laughs) At last she speaks, thank you, Roger. He says, thank you. (laughs) Then he takes her home and she lies on her bed, a conflicted, tortured soul, and weeps until dawn. Whereas Roger gets back to his place, he opens up a bag of Doritos, turns on the television, and immediately becomes deeply involved in a rerun of a tennis match between two Czechoslovakians he's never heard of. (laughs) A tiny voice in the far recesses of his mind tells him that something major was going on back there in the car. But he's pretty sure there's no way he would ever understand what, and so he figures it's better if he just doesn't think about it. The next day, Elaine calls her closest friend, They will talk about the situation for six straight hours. In painstaking detail, they will analyze everything she said and everything he said, going over it time and time again, exploring every word, expression, and gesture for nuances of meaning, considering every possible ramification. They will continue to discuss this subject off and on for weeks, maybe months, never reaching any definite conclusions, but never getting bored with it either. Meanwhile... Roger, while playing racquetball one day with a mutual friend of his and Elaine's, will pause just before serving, frown, and say, Norm, did Elaine ever own a horse? (laughs) Men and women are different. Are they not? Men and women are different. And, And men and women have difficulty, significant difficulty. And yet men and women should pursue marriage and to walk in marriage in this life. And and we've got to ask the question, why? Why are men and women different? Why do men and women have difficulty? And why should men and women pursue marriage together? Those are the questions that we've got to ask if we've got to know how men and women are going to walk together successfully and skillfully in marriage. In other words, if you're married or if you want to be married, or if you're raising children who might be married, you need to know how it is that husbands and wives should walk skillfully in this life together as husbands and wives. I'm about to do something very unique uh, for what we do here, but I'm going to have an extended Scripture reading through 10 different passages of Scripture that I want you to walk through with me because I want you to get a vision of marriage and a vision of men and women's roles in marriage that very possibly is the first time you've ever gotten this kind of vision for marriage. Because this is what I believe. This is what I believe. You cannot walk skillfully in marriage without having the proper vision for marriage. You cannot walk skillfully in marriage if you don't have the proper vision for marriage. So take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I will try to refrain from making significant commentary on these scripture readings, only that which will be 
helpful for you to understand either context or meaning. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, a companion that would meet his needs, one who would complete him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The design for marriage right there in verse 24, leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Two individuals becoming one together for the glory of God. Turn to Genesis chapter 3 beginning in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. The, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of what? Skins and clothed them. Men and women are different. Men and women have difficulty. Men and women should be married. Here we see the root of the difficulty. The root of the difficulty is sin. See that? One little observation in that very last verse, the Lord made for Adam and for his wife what garments of skins. Here we see the very first Anybody know the answer to that? The very first what? Sacrifice. That's right. The very first sacrifice. He covers them through a sacrifice of the animals. Okay, let's now turn to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. And as we cross over 5,000 years worth of revelation to Matthew, we, we will see marriage is adulterated. Relationships between men and women are compromised. Polygamy enters the the scene. Homosexuality enters the scene. All kinds of problems with men and women enter the scene. And it's, it's a really terrible thing that you read page after page about the relationship that men have with women. But then Jesus Christ enters the scene. He comes to planet earth. He begins his ministry. He disciples 12 men. And as he's doing so, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, he comes into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my, my what? My church, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Turn to Matthew 27. Jesus continues to do his ministry, disciple those 12 men. He does exactly what he says he was going to do which was go and be persecuted and to suffer under the hands of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Let's begin in chapter 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor 
And the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You've said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, this notorious prisoner, or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. <coughs> the governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they went, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. <coughs> so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I'm the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, 
Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So he's buried, and on the third day he's raised from the dead. And days after that, he reveals himself to his disciples a last time. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts chapter 2. <coughs> Jesus charged the disciples. What do the disciples do? beginning in verse 36. Peter is preaching the gospel to thousands and thousands of people assembled in Jerusalem for the festivals of Pentecost, for the festivals of Passover. They're all there. And he's preaching Christ to them. He's obeying Jesus' words that Jesus had just uttered in Matthew 28. And Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like, we believe this message. The, the man that we just murdered, we believe is the Christ. What should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness 
and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day. That is added to the church. About 3,000 souls. The Lord of the church gives instructions to the church to make disciples and to baptize and to teach. And then they go out and they make disciples and they baptize and they teach. Now, go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Our base text for this series is verse 15, 16, and 17, which is watch your walk, redeem the time, know the Lord. And then right after he says that, beginning in verse 22, beginning in verse 22, Paul says to the church, husbands, I'm sorry, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, like when he was being scourged. Yes, like when he was being spat upon. Yes, like when the nails were going in his hands and his feet. Yes, like when he was sacrificing himself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. The representative of the church who stood up under the authority of Christ and followed Christ's instructions back in Acts chapter 2 and caused people to repent and he he teaches them and he baptizes them and he makes disciples in the church. This same one speaks to wives and to husbands in chapter 3. And he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives 
when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external or merely external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you or co-heirs with you on, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. The Apostle John has been caught up into a vision of glory, a vision of heaven, a vision of the end, where there is the consummation of all things. What he sees and hears and experiences is something that he, he can't even fathom, but he's able to write it down because the Holy Spirit gives him the power to write it down. And so in verse 6 of chapter 19, he says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Finally, turn to Revelation 22. <coughs> Last chapter in the Bible, beginning in verse 13. Jesus says, We'll start, we'll start with 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. 
I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now before I give you a a fairly brief exposition this morning, I want to ask you, can you see the connection between Christ and His church and husbands and wives? Can you see how God has woven into the very fabric of divine revelation, this huge vision of His Son being a loving, sacrificial, sanctifying husband to His bride, the church, whereby the church is able to submit and honor Him and come to be like Him and to walk in intimate communion with Him. And at the very same time, God weaves into that glorious, beautiful, big picture of Christ and His church this tiny little picture of every husband and every wife living together the husband loving and serving and sacrificing for his wife and the wife submitting and honoring and respecting joyfully to her husband. And every time that wife submits to and loves and honors the husband and every time that that husband loves and leads and cherishes and sanctifies the wife, they are giving a demonstration, a picture, a walking movie, if you will, of the glorious marriage of Jesus Christ with His church. Can you see that? If we see that, we will understand how to walk skillfully in marriage. If we don't see it, and we think somehow that marriage is just something that Christian people do so that we can live together, we can have children, we can be compatible, we can enjoy one another, and we can live in the same house and make things maybe a little sweeter and a little better. If if that's our vision, we totally are missing the vision of what husbands and wives are supposed to do in marriage. I know plenty of non-Christian couples who have quote-unquote good marriages. They care for one another. They love one another. They sacrifice for one another. They enjoy one another. And a lot of times they are way more compatible than a lot of Christian couples that I know. Marriage is not about compatibility. Marriage is not about mere enjoyment. Marriage is not just about having children and raising a family. Marriage is primarily and centrally a way to demonstrate Christ's love for His church and the church's honoring and respecting of its head, Jesus Christ. That's the vision. That's it right there. It's painted to us from Genesis to Revelation. And we've got to get that if we even want to know the basics of how to walk skillfully. Now, given that, let's ask our three questions. What is a husband and a wife? If, if we could kind of break that up into 1A and 1B. What is a husband? What, what is a wife? So based on what we just read and, and a proper interpretation of what we just read, I want to give you the definition of a husband. A husband is one man who has entered a lifelong commitment 
a lifelong covenant of sacrificial love and spiritual leadership toward one woman as a reflection of Jesus Christ's relationship with his church. That's what a husband is. A husband is one man entering a lifelong covenant, a binding agreement. And in that binding agreement, the husband says, I am going to sacrificially love you. I'm going to lay down my rights. I'm going to lay down my my individualism. I'm going to lay down everything that is about me, and I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue your highest good, and not only that, I'm going to spiritually lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to do everything that I can to build you up and to sanctify you and to encourage you. And in doing so, it will be a reflection of how Jesus Christ has loved the church. That's what a husband is. Any vision, let me tell you, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian man, you're a Christian husband, any vision that is smaller than that vision right there, any definition that is smaller than that definition of being a husband will produce spiritual disaster for your marriage. And sometimes disaster is not clearly evident before your eyes. Sometimes disaster can look like being compatible with one another for 35 years, but then dying and having to face Christ. Okay, so this is the definition of a husband. So what's the definition of a wife then? A wife is one woman who has entered a lifelong covenant of joyful submission and respectful love. Joyful submission and respectful love toward one man as a reflection of the church's relationship with Jesus Christ. She said, yes, I also have a binding agreement. Yes, I am entering into this covenant. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to submit to you, not not because I have to, not because I'm bitter about it. No, because I can joyfully submit to you. I can fall in line underneath your leadership because I know that ultimately it is not you, the person I'm submitting to. It is Christ the Lord I'm submitting to. I submit to you out of love for my Savior. Joyfully submit and respectfully love. I'm going to pursue your highest good. I'm going to revere and respect your position in the home and I'm going to do everything that I can to care for you as a reflection of the church's relationship with Jesus Christ. And if your vision, women, is anything less than this vision, and if your definition of being a wife is any less than this definition, then you have an erroneous definition of what it means to be a bride. What is a husband? What is a wife? Okay, let's go to question number two. What are the responsibilities? What are the responsibilities? So we'll start with the husband. The husband's first responsibility is to love his wife sacrificially. The word love that Paul uses over and over is a word that I trust that most of you who are members have have memorized the definition to pursue the highest good of another person. And so what Paul is saying is you need to pursue your wife's highest good in a sacrificial way. No matter what it costs, there is no price that's too high. There is is no, 
no length too long. There is no depth too deep for you to go to love your wife. There's nothing you're unwilling to do to care for her, to cherish her, to nourish her, to bless her. Love her sacrificially. That's your first calling. The second responsibility is to lead her spiritually. To lead her spiritually. Just as Christ leads us, just as Christ cares for us, just as Christ guides us, just as Christ is a shepherd to us, men, if you're a husband, you are to guide and lead and shepherd your wives spiritually. Phil preached a couple of weeks ago about personal worship and family worship and corporate worship. And this is what I would say to you, that men, if you're a husband, then you are to help your wife have personal worship. Like many wives are struggling to have personal worship because they've got kids around their ankles and their knees and their hips 24 hours a day, seven days a week. As, as someone who leads spiritually, then you, t- you give your wife break so that she can have personal worship. You are to lead in family worship. Like, it's your responsibility to gather the family around, to organize family worship, to lead family worship, to facilitate family worship. It's also your responsibility to get your family to corporate worship every Sunday, to get the family prepared, to come on time, to worship together as a unit, and, 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 to, and to build your wife up. And, and then if you have kids, let your wife have great conversations with other ladies and so you're able to serve and love and care for her even after corporate worship during our fellowship meal but lead her spiritually facilitate her spiritual development third live with her faithfully now that comes from the first peter 3 passage where he says dwell with your wives or live with your wives now it's kind of a it's not a side point but it's kind of a moving point in 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 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, but I, I bring it out because we have, as men and women, learned to live in marriages apart from one another. And we'll come together to go to worship together. We'll come together to take our kids to school. We'll come together on, on Saturday nights, but, but we live a lot of our lives apart from one another. He does this, she does that. The family Some of the families over here, some of the families over there. And what what we need to understand is that in marriage, there is a living with that has to be done in a faithful, consistent manner if we're going to obey 1 Peter 3, verse 7. We have to do everything that we can to live with our spouses and for husbands, live with her faithfully. Be with her. Spend time with her. Hang out with her. Listen to her. Be with her. Fourth, Fourth, know her intimately. Peter also goes said, you need to understand your wives. You need to understand them. Praise God, I, I, don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the temptation to, or even really the opportunity to, uh, at least very often, to engage in that kind of discussion with men. You know how sometimes, whether it's around the water cooler or a job where men just talk about women or women just talk about men and they categorize them in all these big categories. And, and all that, I feel like all that does is it like builds up a wall between men and women and between husbands and wives. And, and the whole point of marriage is to tear down the walls. Like, you know that my job week in and week out, this is my job week in and week out. My job is to open up this book to read a passage of Scripture to make observations about that passage of Scripture. Now listen to me. 
to observe what it says, to observe what it doesn't say, to observe the context that is around it, to observe everything that's going on inside of it, to understand what individual words mean and then what those individual words mean as they're put together with other words and form phrases and sentences. I'm observing. And then the more I observe, I then am able to make an interpretation about what this passage actually means. Like, what is the point? And then once I understand the point, what it means, I then can see how it applies to my life and how it applies to your life. I'm observing, I'm interpreting, and I'm applying. I'm observing, I'm interpreting, and I'm applying. And this is what I want you to know that Peter says to you husbands. You are to observe and interpret and apply your wife. You are to draw her out. You are to see her. You are to study her. You are to know her. You are to listen to her. You're to see what sets her off and what brings her peace, what makes her angry and what makes her glad. You need to know what situations make her nervous and what situations cause everything to be calm. You are to study and observe and interpret and then apply your wife. That's what Peter is saying husbands should do for wives. And then finally, he says you should treasure her deeply. Treasure her deeply. There there should be no one or nothing that is more precious, that that is more valuable, that is worth more to you on this planet than your wife. Nothing, no one, not a child, not a job, not a bank account, not a not a piece of land. Not a 401k, not an IRA. Nothing is more precious to you than your wife. Cherish her deeply. She is given to you by God as your greatest treasure. So These are the responsibilities. Love her sacrificially. Lead her spiritually. Live with her faithfully. Know her intimately. Treasure her deeply. All right, what are the responsibilities of a wife? First, submit to him winsomely. Now, I I get that from both Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and 1 Peter 3. They all use the the command submit. And And then Peter says, because in your submission and in your character, that your wives who are disobedient, I mean, your husbands who are disobedient to the word may be one without a word, right? Because of your chaste conduct, because of your winsome way of life. And so submit to your husband winsomely. You don't just grin and bear it. You don't just white-knuckle it and say, I'm going to submit to him. No, you're able to submit to him in a winsome way that even though he's disobedient, because your husband is disobedient, your husband does dishonor you and dishonor the Lord frequently, you can do it in a manner that wins him. That he looks at your life, he looks at your attitude, he looks at your demeanor, he recognizes your spirit. And over a period of time of observing your chaste conduct, he's like, wow, what what is able to give her this persevering submission to me in the midst of my just stupidity? Wow, it must be something that she's tapping into on a spiritual level. I want to press into that. That, That's that's the idea that Peter has. uh, Second, respect him lovingly. Respect him lovingly. This idea of submission and respect, you need to understand that it's not because he's worthy of it. It's not because he has inherently deserved it. It's because of the nature that he is representing Christ 
and you are representing the church, and that as He seeks to love you sacrificially, as He seeks to, to care for you and treasure you and, and love you, then you're able to submit to Him and, and respect Him because th there's this thing going on that is imaging, that is patterning itself after Christ's love for the church and the church's honor. And so you're able to respect Him lovingly, even though sometimes He's not being very loving. But you respect Him lovingly. You submit to Him and you respect Him. Third, you encourage Him spiritually. Paul and Peter use frequently a little phrase, in the Lord, or as is fitting in the Lord. And that's the reason why is because Paul wants women, wants wives to understand that their relationship with their husband is directly connected, connected with their relationship with the Lord. And, and so you should be thinking, whenever you're submitting to your husband or respecting him or caring for him, I want to bring spiritual edification to him. I want to bless him spiritually. I want, to, I want him to have a bigger view of God. I want him to have a higher view of God. I want him to be more humble. I want him to be more gracious. I want him to be more careful with our family spiritually and so that you live your life and you use your words and you have your countenance around him in such a way that is going to build him up, not tear him down. And then fourth, what are responsibilities is to bless him thoroughly. Now I say that because of Proverbs chapter 31. Verses 10 through 31. I didn't read it. It was long, and I didn't want to intimidate you women. Um, anyway, and so, um, but that picture of the Proverbs 31 woman shows a woman who is um, hardworking, generous, loving, gracious, thoughtful. And at the end of that chapter, it says that the people rise up and call that husband what? Blessed. I was blessed. And so you are to bless him thoroughly. Those are your responsibilities. Submit to him winsomely, respect him lovingly, encourage him spiritually, and bless him thoroughly. All right. Finally, the last question, how do you redeem the time as husbands and wives? How do you redeem the time? These are not like super practical ways. These are more formational ways. But the first thing that I feel like you need to do is you need to know your role. Like the first of all, you need to know the definition of who you are as a husband or who you are as a wife or who you're, try, you're, you're aiming to be when you become a husband or when you're aiming to be when you become a wife. So you need to know that as a husband, I'm a man who enters into a covenant relationship of sacrificial love and spiritual leadership toward one woman as I am a, a demonstration of Christ's love for the church. Like, I need to know that definition, and I need to let that definition un, uh, guide my role. So I need to know my role. And, and, and ladies, you need to know your role as a wife. And then you need to embrace your role. Like, if there are parts of your role that you really just kind of bristle against and you don't want to do, then that's where you need to press in. You need to pray about. You need to write it down and meditate on. You need to ask God to give you the grace to be able to embrace the roles that, and responsibilities that God has given to you. Embrace it. This is who God has made me to be. This is what God has called me to do. And then you can ask the question, how can I fulfill my role in the daily rhythm of life? My 
concern is that we can read the text of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that we can understand the roles and responsibilities and the definitions, and we, including myself, can say yes and amen to all of that. But then when Monday morning comes, nothing changes about how we live. And so we've got to literally ask the question. We've got to take our journals out. We've got to take our notebooks out. And we've got to spend time as a husband or as a wife when you ask this question, okay, okay, how can I fulfill my role as a husband in the daily rhythm of our life? How, how can I fulfill my role as a, as a wife in the daily rhythm of life? God, would you show me, would you show me this morning that how this week I can fulfill my role as a sacrificial, loving, and spiritually leading husband. Would you show me that? What, what small steps can I take to sacrificially love my wife and spiritually lead her? And then you wait. And you read Scripture. And you wait. And you begin to write down a few ways in which you can love her, in which you can lead her, in which you can care for her. And then you begin to implement that. Yeah. Oh. Church, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Please, please don't, don't leave today and say, man, that was an illuminating sermon. Never seen marriage in the big picture and the small picture like that. And that be it. This is what I'm telling you as your pastor. It would be obedient of you to ask the third question, how can I fulfill my role in the daily rhythm of my life? And then fourth, how can I fulfill my role in the special situations of life? And the reason I use that question is because there, there are ways in which men need to lead and love that aren't in daily rhythms. For instance, uh, getting health insurance or life insurance or um, paying the power bill. That doesn't happen every day, but all those things need to be done. That's a special situation that you as a provider, as a guide, as a protector, you need to do things like that. Things like um, setting up some, some money so that if a kid gets hurt, you've got some money though, so they can go out and take them to the doctor. Things like that. How can I fulfill my role as a husband? Or how can I fulfill my role in special situations of life as a wife? Well, I know that my husband might bring somebody home and I, I, need, to set up, I need to set up a hospitable situation at home so that we can... We can um, provide for, for the hospitality. Th things like that. S special situations. How can I fulfill my role? And then finally, communicate with each other about your roles and responsibilities. Communicate with each other. Um, I started off with Roger and Elaine because I feel like the difference, the main difference between men and women in the, in the marriage relationship that produces more problems than anything else is communication. And I feel like the only way for husbands and wives to fulfill their roles is to both communicate with God individually. So like Ryan communicates with God individually. Jamie communicates with God individually. Ryan and Jamie communicate with God together as a married couple. And then Ryan and Jamie communicate with each other in a loving worshipful, kind way. That's the only way for us to knock down all of the barriers and to cross the bridges that we need to cross to be husbands and wives to the glory of God. 
in order to redeem that time. Okay, if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we want to come before you. We want to pray that you would help us as people who've been called out by your name, according to your power, to be your ambassadors in this world. And specifically, Lord, there are men and women who are husbands and wives in this room. There are young men and young women who are future husbands and wives. Everybody in this room, Lord, has been called by you to represent the church and to be the church. We would just pray that in these moments as we reflect and as we sing, that you would cement your word and your truth in our hearts that we may fulfill the roles you've given us and walk skillfully to redeem the time. In Christ's name, amen.